let me jump right into this because uh, I'm long-winded anyway because the guy went long on the video and I got a lot to say today. We got two chapters of Ruth to cover today, so I don't have a whole lot of time. But let me hit a couple things. Number one, there are some sign-ups for small groups out in the lobby. We're going to have more sign-ups next week. All of, our, uh, sign- all of our small groups for the current semester will start by the end of February, and they'll be concluded by the time school is out. So uh, if you're interested in small groups, we've got a number of different groups available today. We're going to have some new groups available next week as well, and those are also going to be available on our website starting uh, probably the middle or end of this week. So if you want to take a look, feel free. We'd love to get you signed up and connected into those small groups. It is life-giving. You're going to grow in your faith, but you're also going to grow in relationship with with people in this church. The truth is the size of our church is getting, it's harder and harder to build relationships on Sunday before and after church. And so we want you to be intentional about building those relationships outside of Sunday morning, whether it's in a coffee shop, uh, in somebody's home, whatever the case might be. So get signed up for one of our small groups. You will not regret it. I also want to let you know next Sunday is going to be a big day. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, our un-Super Bowl chili cook-off is next Sunday night at 6.30, so uh, be here. If you froze you know, a 55-gallon drum of uh, chili because we didn't have it last week, that's okay. Um, start thawing it now and bring it this next Sunday night. We're going to have that. You can still sign up if you want to bring chili out in the lobby, and uh, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have, uh, this was Todd's idea, if this will surprise you, but we're going to be having a lip sync battle next Sunday night here in this room, and some of you right now are like ready to write us off as heretics because we're going to have a lip sync battle, but uh, I'm just telling you, my family and I, we've already got one ready that, uh, that we're going to be working on, and I'm excited about it. You don't want to miss that. So if you want to get one together, uh, Todd will be getting some more information out this week about that. Uh, let him know, and we'll get you signed up. That would be awesome for you to be a part of that, so it would be great. Uh, also, next Sunday morning, I'm really excited that Ian and Larissa Murphy are going to be with us. You might have seen their story, um, but they've got an incredible story, and they're going to be here. I'm going to be interviewing them next Sunday morning in this room. You do not want to miss it. This would be a great day to bring your friends, bring some of your neighbors people that maybe don't go to church anywhere, bring them next Sunday to hear this incredible story. Also, their book is available in our bookstore. It's called 828, uh, When Love Didn't Give Up. So check this out in our bookstore as well. Uh, So they'll be signing books after service next week. You'll have the opportunity to meet them as well. So please stop by, come back next week, and and don't miss it. Uh, Today we are finishing up uh, Ruth. We're continuing our Redemptive Love series, and we're going to pick it up in Ruth chapter 3. If you were not here last week, we started in the book of Ruth, and we were telling the story. Really, the next couple of weeks are, are all about stories. We're sharing stories of redemptive love. And so last week, we started the story of Ruth. Um, her father-in-law died. Her husband and her brother-in-law died. And so it's her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law and she, and they've got nowhere to go nothing to do. They got no resources. They got no standing in life. Basically, they are stuck. And uh, God takes them from Moab back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. And that's where they end up. And, and her mother, her mother-in-law, her name was Naomi, which means cheerful. And she, they get back to Bethlehem and they say, hey, it's Naomi. She said, no, 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 don't call me Naomi because I'm not cheerful anymore. And she says, instead, call me bitter. Because I was cheerful, I was happy, I was joyful, but now I'm not because God has dealt bitterly with me. In fact, what she says is, the Lord has testified against me. Now, if you can imagine for a second, if you had to go to court and they have a surprise witness and it was your dad that showed up and said, yeah, she's guilty. You know, he's guilty. You'd be pretty hurt probably, right? And this is what Naomi said. She said, the Lord has testified against me. So I'm not joyful anymore. I'm bitter. 
because that's just where I'm at. I think we can all identify with that. I think we've all been at moments in our life where we say, you know what, God, I thought you were good, but apparently you're not because look at the situation I'm in. And so she sends Ruth out. She says, Ruth, I'm, I'm old. I can't do much, but why don't you go out and work in the fields? And so she went out and began working in the field, began getting what she could so they could eke out an existence. And the Lord sent her to a field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz happened to be a relative and someone who was capable of redeeming her. Now in Jewish law, there was a thing set up so that if, if I died, my heritage could continue. Okay, um, And the way it would continue would be by someone in my family, a male in my family, marrying my wife, which makes me all kinds of weirded out when I say that out loud. Um, but by marrying my widow, how about that? And, and my lineage could continue. My heritage could continue, basically. But the problem is her brother-in-law was dead. There was no one else to carry on the lineage. So here she meets Boaz, and Boaz is related, so he's capable of continuing the lineage of her husband, of, of redeeming her, her family, and her lineage. Does that make sense? And so this is where we're at in the beginning of chapter three. If I'd have told it this fast last week, you guys have been out of here really quick. And so uh, that's where we're at in, in, in Ruth chapter one and two. Now remember, when we look at the word redeem, if we look at it in the original context, it means to buy out and specifically to buy out of slavery, okay? So if you're getting a mental picture, imagine, imagine God is standing in a crowd and there's a, an auction block and you have walked up to the auction block and the auctioneer begins to auction you off. And I'm not even gonna pretend to be able to do the thing like the sold, right? Like I'm, I can't do it, okay? Uh, we've got uh, Wilbur Hostler's an auctioneer. I'm, I, I could probably get him to do it, but I'm not going to. The auctioneer, he, he's auctioning you off and our heavenly father says, I'll pay whatever the price. I'm going to buy them back out of slavery. They're mine, right? And this is the picture that is painted whenever we look at the word redeem. So when we think of redemptive love, redemptive love is something that we are capable of having for the people around us. It's not just from our Heavenly Father. We're capable of loving each other that way, but not in ourselves. It has to come from God. It's something that I, and if you're married, you understand this. I am totally incapable of loving my wife in a redemptive way, except by the blood of Jesus in my life. I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not moral enough, there's nothing about me that enables me to love her the way that God loves her except by the blood of Jesus in my life. So we are capable of loving redemptively if we're connected with the redemptive love of God. So let's pick it up in Ruth chapter three. Um, Naomi says to Ruth, and I'm gonna condense some of this, I'll give you the, the Mel annotated version if, if you would for some of this, but R Naomi says to Ruth, she says, listen, um, we got to speed this process up. You've been working in the field for the harvest, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to go find Boaz. And he is, he's, um, right now he's winnowing the barley. And so just let me help you with that. Um, the way they used to, the way they used to process seed was they would, they would gather it or they would have these stalks of barley and they would gather it all together. They would grind it down with a stone and then they would have it on this, usually an elevated place. Sometimes it was a table, but it was outdoors. And what they would do is they would take this thing called a winnowing fork. It was like a pitchfork. And they would, after they'd ground it down, um, not to a fine powder, just to separate it a little bit, they would take it and they would throw everything up in the air. What would happen is the wind would come along and it would carry away the lighter parts 
and the heavier parts, the good parts, the seed would fall. And so the wind would blow away the waste, basically, the stuff that was useless, and the seed would fall to the ground. Then they'd take a shovel, they'd scoop it up, and they would collect the seed. Now, <laughs> this is bonus coverage for you, but Jesus was described in, in Matthew chapter 3 by John uh, the Baptist, and he said, here comes the Son of God. And he said, in his hand, he's carrying a winnowing fork. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but what John the Baptist was saying, hey, Jesus is showing up, and he's not just showing up to, to make us all happy and just to make us feel good, but he's showing up to separate the seed from the waste. He, he, he's coming, and he's got a winnowing fork in his hand because there's going to be a line between what he can use and what he cannot use. And it's not determined on your past. It's determined on the decisions you've made and the relationship you have with God. Does that make sense? Because some of you feel useless. You can't be used. But the truth is, if you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you are totally capable of being used. But, but, if we show up to church every week and think we're good because we show up to church every week and there's no relationship and our life has not been redeemed, then we are waste spiritually. So I knew that would encourage you. So Boaz has been working, he's been separating the barley, and this is what she says. She says, go up there. He's going to fall asleep, and when he falls asleep, you, you, this is what you do. You get yourself cleaned up, you go take a bath. You make yourself smell real nice, you get dressed up, and, and he'll be asleep, and you go and you uncover his feet, and then you just lay at his feet. And when he wakes up, he'll give you direction, and whatever he says, you do. Which sounds like the weirdest first date ever, Right? <laughs> How creeped out would you be if you're a single guy and you wake up and there's some chick laying in your room? Like, what is going on here? And she's like, no, no, it's good. I took a bath today, right? Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, sneak in here, my feet are uncovered. Now you see I'm wearing socks and like, you know, it's weird. But this is what happens in uh, Ruth chapter three, verse six. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Verse seven says, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went down, or he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now listen, the, the reason the foot uncovering thing, there's some question about that, but the best answer I can find is that this was a sign of submission in Hebrew culture. So as she uncovered his feet, she's basically saying, I am submitting to you because uh, it was a sign that, hey, I'm not going to get next to you. I'm not going to uncover you so I can get in next to you. I'm, I would crawl up under the covers. Does that make sense? And it was a sign of submission saying, hey, I'm submitted to you as a spiritual leader or authority. And then she comes back, and again, this is the weirdest wedding proposal ever, but this is what she says. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, if you remember back in chapter two, she said, uh, why have you treated your, your servant so kindly? And what the, the way she used servant there was a servant that had no rights and no authority in Hebrew culture. So when she said, I'm your servant, she basically was saying, I am like a slave. I have no rights in your household. But when she says servant here, she uses a different word, and it's a word that indicates that she has rights. And so what she's really doing is in, is in asserting that she has rights, but she's asking if she can have rights. Does that make sense? She's saying, I, I don't want to be a slave to you. I want to have rights in your home. I, I want to live alongside you. This is what I want. 
And so she uses this word a little differently. And then she said, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And if you remember last week, the word wings here can be interpreted as the end of a prayer shawl. And so I told you last week when, when Boaz was talking to Ruth and he was talking about how God would allow her to be under his wings. And, you know, I have this picture of an eagle. Well, you know, these like weird Christian images we have, like our, our God is like an eagle and it's this mighty eagle. And we see being under his wings, like some weird thing, like we're hanging on for dear life to some eagle that's soaring and like, okay, I'm safe under his wing. But that's not the image at all. The image that we should have is that what God does is he brings us into himself. He draws us close to him and then he takes his prayer shawl and covers us and protects us from the elements. And so what she is saying to Boaz here in in chapter three is the same thing that he used to talk to her when he was talking about how God would protect her. And she's turning his words back on him. Don't you love guys when women do that to you, right? (laughs) You're like, wait a second, you can't do that. Like, I said it and I meant it, but you can't use it back on me. The best is when you're preaching a message and your wife uses words you've preached. Like, she's like, what didn't you say? And I'm like, oh, come on. That's not fair. She's like, I can play it on the podcast I got right here. Like, okay, fine, right? But she uses his words back to him, says, spread your wings over your servant for your redeemer. And she is proposing marriage to him. She's saying, this is what I want. And this isn't a desperate plea from a woman. She sees God working through him in a redemptive way. She sees the redemptive love of God flowing through Boaz. This is not some quid pro quo where it's you scratch my back and I scratch yours. This is something that she realizes God is in this. And she said, I want you to be my redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Let me stop there. When he says you've made this last kindness a bit better than your first, what he's talking about is the kindness that she showed to her mother-in-law. Remember last week we talked about this when her brother-in-law died and her mother-in-law said, hey, you go find some young man to marry. And she said, no, 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 your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And that's where I'm gonna be buried, right? That, that'd, be, that'd be hard to say to our moms, but let alone your mother-in-law. She said this to her mother-in-law. And so this is a huge amount of love, redemptive love that she has for her mother-in-law. And this is what Boaz says. He says, the fact that you would choose me is, is bigger to me. It's more startling to me. It's more shocking to me than the fact that you chose your mother-in-law. Does that make sense? And so what he's saying is, it's not just me that's redeeming you. By you choosing this old man, you are are redeeming me as well. Are are you tracking what I'm saying here? He's saying, this is a really big deal because he loved her. And he didn't just love her. As we talked about last week, he lavished her with stuff and blessings and and grain and food and gave her opportunities to serve. and, And he loved her. And it wasn't in a selfish way. It was a redemptive love. Verse 11 says, and now, this is what he said, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you have asked for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yes, there is a redeemer nearer than I. So he said, yes, I'm related to you and I would be able to redeem you, but there's somebody who's more closely related to you that that's their right and not mine. He said, verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14 says, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that, woman, that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment 
you are wearing and hold it out. So he says, hey, hey, bring, bring, your, bring your apron, if you will. And she opens her apron up. And I love this guy. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. What a generous man Boaz was, Right? We talked during our series in the month of January about generosity, but generosity is not just our finances. Generosity is our heart. And he had a generous heart and a generous spirit, and he was generous with his love, and he was generous with his forgiveness. And he said, you know what? I want to bless you. I want to bless your your mother-in-law. I want to take care of you because that's who he was. You must not go back empty-handed. So I love what Boaz did. He, He was a shrewd businessman. And along with, along with, redeeming a person. You also redeemed the, the, the dead person's uh, inheritance, if you will. And so what he did is he went to the redeemer, the, the one who was more closely related, and he waited for him. When he saw him, he said, hey, I want to speak to you about something. You have a second. He stopped and he said, listen, you, you know Naomi's back in town, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. And he said, now listen, um, she has a parcel of property that needs to be redeemed. And, and uh, I would love to redeem it, but you're, you're more closely related. So you get to redeem it if you'd like, but if you don't do it, I'm gonna buy it, all right? So it, it'll be mine if you don't take it. And so the guy says, no, 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 I want the land. And Boaz says, okay, great, that's fantastic. The only thing is you also have to marry Ruth, <laughs> right? And how many of you be like, sign me up. I'll marry a woman I don't know, a foreigner, and nobody, I'll take it. Like, woohoo! You must want that land really bad, right? So he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That would jeopardize the inheritance for my children. So I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. And Boaz says, are you sure? And he said, yeah. All right, great. I'll take it then. So just like that, he says, I'm going to do what I need to do in order to make sure this is right. And so uh, this is where we'll pick it up in uh, Four, chapter four, verse 13, it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Don't you love how the Bible describes sex? <laughs> she went, he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Verse 14 says, and then the woman said, the wind women said to Naomi, so the women of the community said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. I'm gonna stop there. Because if you, if you remember not too long ago, she was bemoaning the fact that she had no redeemer, that God had forgotten her, that God had hung her out to dry, that, that there was no support for her, there was no hope for her. And she was saying, God has forgotten about me. God has testified against me. And here she says, you know what? Maybe God had a plan after all. Maybe I didn't really see what he was doing when he was doing it. Maybe when I was neck deep in my trouble and in my issues, I didn't understand the full scope of what he wanted to do. Verse 15 says, and he shall be to you a restorer of life. Remember, this isn't her son. This is her grandson. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, when you hear this story, you might go, okay, that's great. And one of my least favorite things in the Bible is looking through lineages. 
okay? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. You don't understand any of the names, and like, I don't know who these people are, and the context doesn't make sense, but let me put this lineage into context if I can. This woman was a Moabite. We talked about this last week. Moabites were the descendants of incest. So according to Jewish tradition, they were outcasts at best. So this woman marries into a Jewish family. Her husband dies. She's redeemed by another Jewish man. And they have a son together. And his name is Obed. Okay? And again, you go, I've never heard of Obed before. And that's okay. Maybe you haven't. But maybe you've heard of Obed's son, Jesse. Mm, That sounds familiar. Okay, maybe you haven't heard of Jesse. But maybe you've heard of his son, David, who was King David. David and Goliath who was sent to restore Israel into freedom. And if you're not sure about this as well, the prophecy regarding the Messiah, Jesus, was that he would be in the line of David. So if we carry this thing out, we have to understand that somebody who was totally improbable to be used in the lineage of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was used and her life was redeemed. Now listen, when Boaz came into her life, he didn't show up just so he could redeem her. It was not just about Ruth, it was not just about Naomi. It was about everything that was going to happen after that. See, Ruth's redemption was not just about Ruth. It was about humanity. God redeemed humanity through Ruth. Today, you might be here and you're thinking, I'm in a hopeless situation. I'm in a hopeless circumstance. God has forgotten about me. He's hung me out to dry. There's, There's no future from here. What am I supposed to do? And I want you to know God hasn't forgotten about you. Your redemption is on the way if you will trust him. But your redemption is not just for you. It is not just about your life. It is about your family's life. It's about your kids. It's about your kids' kids. It's about everything that's gonna happen down the line that God's got a bigger story for you than just your life. God doesn't wanna just redeem you. He wants to redeem your family tree, your lineage, He wants to redeem the community through you. That sounds like a big statement, doesn't it? God wants to redeem humanity through you, but it's true. Let me read this last passage. I'm deviating from the plan because usually last week I just read through Ruth, but I want to close with a passage from Titus chapter two. This is Paul writing to Titus. It was one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of the people he had close relationship with. And he writes to Titus, in Titus 2, verse 11, it says this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, and it's talking about Jesus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Aren't you thankful that God's salvation through Jesus is for all people? Training us, now listen, this is what it does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Some of you are like, well, I like that first part better. The salvation is for all people. Like, I'm not crazy about that second part. And he wants us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That's part of why he came, is to make us holy. Verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this next part. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Jesus Christ, his life paid the price for us to be free. Not just so we could go to heaven, not just so we don't have to go to hell, but his redemptive love in our lives paid the price so that we can live our lives free from being slaves to sin. Now, you might not be excited about that. But what I'm saying to you today is that that thing that you've struggled with, that, that, that sin that maybe you've told nobody about, that you think you're good, man, that's hidden and nobody knows. And you can be free of that because God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to redeem you from that, to, to buy you from slavery to sin so that you could be free. That last part of that verse I love. And it describes those people as people who are zealous for good works, that are excited to be a part of what God is doing. And today, God's redemptive love is real. And he is passionate about you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you think you've blown it, no matter how unlovable you think you are, God's redemptive love is bigger than all that. But what we have to understand is there's an element of truth involved here too. It says God loves you no matter what you've done, but you can't live however you wanna live and still experience the love of God. Because when we truly experience the love of God, it shifts something in our lives, it changes something in our lives. And all of a sudden we go, you know what, God, I, I want the things that you want instead of the things that I want. See, redemptive love always costs us something. It costs Jesus dearly. And when we say, God, I wanna love you redemptively, I wanna love the people around me redemptively, it's gonna cost you something. In order to do that well, it might cost you financially. It might cost you some time. It might cost you you being right all the time. but it's gonna cost you something if you wanna love redemptively. But the beautiful thing is God has already shown us how to do it. If we'll trust him, if we'll say, God, I'm gonna to submit to your will, I'm gonna to submit to your plan, and I wanna love people the same way you love me. It's possible, but we've gotta trust him. Let's pray. God, thank you that I can't begin to fathom or understand the depth or width or breath of your love for us, the height or depth. God, it, it is unfathomable to me. So Father, thank you for loving us in a way that we can't begin to imagine. God, I thank you that you love us redemptively, not just so we can go to heaven, but Lord, so our lives can be redeemed and, and free of sin on this earth, that we don't have to live in slavery any longer. Lord, I thank you that your word tells us we can be slaves to righteousness. So Lord, I pray today we would experience that. And as we are submitted to you more and more fully, God, I pray that you would help us love the people around us and love you in a more redemptive way. God, thank you that you held nothing back from us. And I pray today we'd hold nothing back from you. Lord, there wouldn't be any dark corner of our heart. Lord, there wouldn't be any area of our life that we would fail to submit and give to you. And Lord, I pray that you would redeem it all for your glory. So have your way with us, Lord. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you today, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what? I, I'm not really serving God. I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, I want to. I want to know that kind of love that you're talking about. I want to experience that. And I want to know that today. I don't want to wait. If that's you, 
I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, Mel. I wanna know the redemptive love of Christ. Thank you, down here in the middle. Who else? You say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you very much. Over here on my left, who else says, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, ma'am. Over here on my right, I see your hand. You can put it down. Awesome. Thank you, sir, over on my right. Fantastic. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. You can put your hand down. Thank you over here on my far left by the camera. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thanks up in the balcony. I see you, sir. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to know their redemptive love. Thank you on my extreme left over here on the floor. I see you. You can put your hand down, sir. Awesome. This is what I'd like to do. I want everybody in the room to repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing supernatural about this prayer, but there's something powerful about saying it and and meaning it in your heart. So that's what I want you to do today. So everybody in the room, say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I didn't deserve it. You loved me at my worst. So today, I'm gonna give you my best. I'm never going back to my old life to my old habits, to my old thinking, to my old sin. I am yours. I give everything to you. Help me love like you. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a big round of applause for what he did this morning? Thank you, Jesus. You're so good.